How come you have a better mic stand than me? Um, I'm the lead host. Wow. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I didn't realize that that's how it was working. Yeah, yeah. Alpha host. Oh, 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 oh. Call me daddy host. No, never. I'm never <laughs> calling you that. Hi, this is Cody Dagalorian. This is Neil Dagalorian. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> I really love that that's become the thing. That's well, become a thing. We were chastised when I didn't do it. That's so. right. It's good to uh to have things that are ours. The people the need a yay. I think we need to have a bearded fruit shirt that just has yay on it. Oh. Yay, and then like like as a quote, like a, like it's a deep quote, like yay. Neil DeGalorean. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is the very first podcast episode we're recording with a new president in the White House. Yay. Pre- <laughs> I don't know that that's a yay. President Donald Trump was inaugurated on Friday. He was sworn in as president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, okay. Uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not the end of our episode. Um, Thanks for listening, comrades. Yeah, so uh, he was inaugurated on Friday. Did you did you listen to the speech? No, at all. No. Yeah, I was the only one in my office who did. Uh, everyone else was basically emotionally unprepared mm-hmm. to do so, but I got to listen to it live. One thing that I very much enjoyed is the moment that he started to speak. It started to rain, mm. and so um, as he's delivering his speech, you see everybody like in the back putting on their their like rain ponchos and things they're like oh it's coming down have you seen the pictures of george w bush yes he had a really hard time with his poncho yeah it was adorable (laughs) it's it's good to know that he's still like the the adorable bumbling war criminal that he is yeah yay for isn't it kind of um disturbing to sort of have when you're like thinking about presidents, you go George W. Bush. Eh, not so bad. Yeah, I like mean, I mean, he was kind of a he. He was bad, but I mean, let's talk yeah. about he this was current one. He was the earnest of presidents. Ooh. You know, like Ernest goes to the White yeah. House. <laughs> Ernest goes to the White House, <laughs> and now we literally have like like Voldemort. Mm-hmm. So, um. I wanted to start by talking a little bit about the uh, the inaugural speech. Since you, if you didn't listen to it, and if out there if you haven't listened to it, you really really should because uh, even though you may be horrified by the thought that he is our president, the inaugural address that he delivered was a very clear statement of purpose mm-hmm. for his administration, and it's something that I think when I listen to it, I'm like, yeah, that's exactly this is exactly what they're doing. So uh, in this post. Uh, inauguration period where we're trying to figure out what we want to do to respond to this administration, listening to his speech gives you a really clear picture about what the ethos and the, the, the thought process behind this administration is. And so I wanted to share a part of the speech. I'm not going to make you listen to him. I mean, I could just pull some audio and make you listen to his horrible delivery, but, um, 
we want to keep you listeners. So I'll share something from his inaugural speech. This is from the speech, quote, The establishment protected itself, but not for, not the citizens of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. Their triumphs have not been your triumphs. And while they celebrated in our nation's capital, there was little to celebrate for struggling families all across our land. That all changes, starting right here and right now, because this moment is your moment. It belongs to you. It belongs to everyone gathered here today and everyone watching all across America. This is your day, this is your celebration, and this, the United States of America, is your country. What truly matters is not which party controls our government, but whether our government is controlled by the people. January 20th, 2017 will be remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. Everyone is listening to you now. Oh my God, you lost the popular vote. <laughs> oh my God. That's so, oh my God. It was, it felt like it was out of some like dystopian hunger. I felt like, uh, what's, well, I don't even remember what her, her character's name is, but it felt like, uh, President Coyne. yes, <laughs> in the Hunger Games is like talking and uh, it, it the whole speech kind of revolved around that this idea that and that we're all just waiting for Jennifer Lawrence to come in with a bow and arrow. <laughs> I mean, that would have been dramatic. But the the entire she inaugural the, the whole inaugural speech revolved around that central idea: the idea that there were people like the real Americans, quote unquote, have been forgotten and left behind in this country. Quote: Read Ameri- real Americans equals quote white people. In case you aren't up to speed, to quote the lady at Popeyes yesterday, that's not representative. Oh my of god, all we'll get to the, we were gonna get we're gonna get to her. <laughs> um, but the whole speech revolved around this idea that now America is going to be ta- returned from returned to real Americans from the horrible people that took it away. Black people, Latino people, Asian people, any person of color, any queer person, women who deign to believe they should be equal, uh, anyone who experiences homelessness or disability or all of those people who uh, the previous government has clearly ignored good old real American people uh, to sort of favor well, we're going to take the country back from all those people because... Um, Thank you, speechwriter Steve Bannon. Yeah. For um, totally not white supremacist rhetoric. So, yeah. I feel like if that doesn't scare the shit out of you, I really don't know what will. Mm-hmm. I mean, really. It's, it's a terrifying vision of what America should be. Is really... In, in the guise of a unifying speech, what he really did was made make very clear that there are two Americas. There's, quote unquote, us, the, the real Americans, the good Americans, the people for whom this country should work for, and them. There's just some, something so incredibly problematic, too, about the blatant hypocrisy where if there is an us versus them, it's, it's going to be class-based. It's going to be the hyper rich and literally everyone else. And he is literally the hyper rich. Yes. So there's, there's something just incredibly bold faced and incredibly, which isn't like, I mean, that's on brand. So like, woohoo, thanks for doing that. Thanks for staying on brand and on message. But like it takes five seconds of critical thinking to really poke holes in his entire rhetoric and his entire ideology. Yes. I mean, if you're, if, if you care to, if you don't blindly swallow whatever you're served and that's later. (laughs) 
the queer resistance. Um, yeah, so so the speech was horrifying, and within hours of the speech being delivered, this speech, this statement of purpose for the Trump administration, some stuff happened. Well, I mean, literally everybody's freaking out because everyone who's not white and a Trump voter should be freaking out. But for the queer community, there are some specific things that happened post the inaugural speech or even like in, within the hour that are alarming and we should be thinking about. So the White House Office of National AIDS Policy seems to be uh, in trouble now. Its official page on the White House website was removed uh, within like an hour or so of the inauguration. And the director of the ONAP, Amy Lansky, had tweeted a series of farewell tweets from their official Twitter account on January 4th, saying things like, you know, we're this is our last day in the office. It'll be our last day in the office. Uh, we really enjoyed the last eight years of working with you. Follow this other website for information about AIDS policy. And basically, insiders are saying that he's closed that office. It was one of the first mm-hmm. things that he did in office is to shut down the White House Office of National AIDS Policy, which is problematic, alarming for the LGBT community. Now, also on the uh, White House website, this is was kind of a controversial thing to be freaking out about. But the policy page for the LGBT community, the civil rights page, the climate change page, the healthcare page, all of these disappeared within an hour of the inaugural speech. Um, they were gone. Now, some folks are saying, uh, chillax, calm down, because they're, they that happens all the time. They take down web pages so that the administration can put up their own. However, it is worth noting that while they could not find time to immediately replace LGBT policy, civil rights, climate change, or health care, they did find time to update Melania Trump's bio page with a plug for her QVC jewelry line. Well, the thing is, too, that like... Um looking at actual what happened the day of inaugurations the the day obama was um was inaugurated the the white house website did change but it changed with full content and mm-hmm. that's the thing like um and um I, I read this post earlier that was um going going in depth using um this tool called the wayback machine which allows you to archive websites the day of um a certain date and they looked at um the Bush administration versus the Obama administration and the Bush administration had full on like policy list mm-hmm. where it was like, these are our policies. Like th- this is what we're looking at. And then it goes over to Obama and it's a little bit different, but it's inclusive still. Um, and then they even went as far back to see what happened between Clinton and Bush mm-hmm. and websites were much, much different then. But it was like the Clinton administration website was still more inclusive of the issues. And then the fresh Bush administration was still more inclusive of those kinds of issues. Um, so, yeah, there's literally no excuse. There's absolutely no excuse. Well, correct, because also the Republican Party has a platform for climate change. They have a platform for LGBT rights and civil rights. They have mm-hmm. it, they have stances and policy suggestions on these issues. They voted on that for the Republican National Convention. So the fact that they don't exist on the website at all, while other policy positions and other plans that the administration has said they're going to do, do does appear on the website, is alarming a little bit it's alarming that they're you know even even if it's true that we're going they're going to roll out this incredible lgbt page with like disco balls and rainbow flags and gifs from like a 2002 live yeah like a a animated gif of caitlin jenner giving a peace sign then Does that that should why doesn't that exist? That should uh, be because Caitlyn Jenner has never given the peace sign. That should we let's work on that. Okay. Um, 
it's it's alarming. It's totally alarming, and it, that's all in context of some other of of what's going on throughout his administration as a whole. We talked a few weeks ago about all of the anti-LGBT members of his administration, including our new vice president, Mike Pence, who, as you can as you recall, once tried to divert HIV funding to fund conversion therapy, signed a bill in 2013 that would jail gay couples in Indiana for applying for marriage licenses, and he fought against employment non-discrimination, among many other anti-gay things. So um, I think as a whole, if you're queer, you should be alarmed mm-hmm. by this new administration, and, uh, and it's begun. It, it, they've wasted no time in signaling a lack of interest in LGBT issues and the LGBT community as a whole. Hmm? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for your trenchant commentary. I just can't. Um, I yeah. can't with these people. I know. But there's hope. Such there's as hope. clipping the microphone? Yeah, whatever. People, you, you love it. So uh, yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Sunday. On Saturday... Uh, the day after the inauguration, the Women's March on Washington and Los Angeles and Boston and Cleveland and Omaha and everywhere Lincoln. all over the world. It was amazing. They gathered over 2.6 million people all around the world to voice their opposition to Trump, his administration and his policies. So it's something like the largest demonstration. Yes. In American history. Yes. Like what? Also, um, the last count I saw was about 2.9 million. Oh, even better. Um, which is, I mean, that might also that also might be a falsehood, only because that's about the margin that Trump lost mm. the um, popular vote to. But it, even if it's 2.5, that's still really close yeah. to that, and that's that's significant. Yeah, and so uh, they mar- women and men and everyone marched uh, in cities all across the country and across the world yesterday, um, dwarfing the inauguration crowd. The Chicago march had to be canceled because there were so many people there was nowhere to march. Yeah, it was really awesome. So uh, to anyone out there who participated in any of the marches yesterday, uh, thanks. Good going. Um, Yeah, and actually like, shoot us an email if you want to talk about your time in the march. We would love to have you on the podcast. We can do an interview and include you in an upcoming episode about your experience marching in any of the cities around the country. Uh, If you're in Washington, it'd be really cool to hear from you too. So that's one positive thing. I mean, millions and millions of people are willing to gather in their respective cities against this administration. Uh, And we're going to talk about a fun little one for Mr. Mike Pence, which happened, uh, that's going to engender a different, another conversation for us. But uh, last week, a group, hundreds, it was a group of hundreds of uh, queer friends and uh, friends of queers gathered in the streets of Maryland surrounding Mike Pence's home to protest him as vice president and his LGBT policies and his LGBT record. LGBT record. And they did it by holding a dance party. Mm-hmm. Girl, they danced in the streets. They turned the streets into a gay bar. So it was dancing in the streets all over again. Yes, it was fierce. Um, Firas Nasser, who was the organizer of the dance party, uh, said the reason he chose a dance party was that dance is an integral part of the queer community. Uh, he sort of suggested that like dance has historically been a way for queer people to meet and connect and build a network of community. And so dance is a form of resistance felt appropriate and healing. So they were out there working it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in front of Mike Pence, around Mike Pence's house. Um, he was across town at the time. But Were they doing the pancake? What? 
pancake is a dance move. I have what? I I've eaten That's pancakes. That's your time. That's from your time. Wait, my time? Like like I'm from the 1920s. No. What is the pancake? I'm, this is an audio format, so I'm not gonna do it because I don't want our. Just Google it. Google the pancake. Okay. It's a real I, dance. I have no. I've never heard. Of, I've never done the pancake. Oh I've eaten god. pancakes. I've made pancakes. Oh my god, Cody, get a black friend. <laughs> That is not fair. I ha- no, I'm not going to say that because <laughs> <laughs> I'm baiting you. Oh, you horrible. Um, I was really excited about the gay dance party. I thought it was a really cool and snarky and fun way to address um, address Mike Pence and and sort of give a middle finger to the Trump administration, uh, particularly because I felt like. What was cool about this gay dance party, um, what was cool about this dance party was that I sort of felt it, it exemplified the thing that that people who fear gay people, it, like it, it exemplified what they fear we are all the time, you know, like dancing around in short shorts to Whitney Houston songs or with glow sticks. Like they imagine that is what queer life is. And so I thought it was really fun to confront them with that in the street. Like, Oh yeah, this is what you're afraid of. So Aha, take that Martha. Eat it. Yeah. But what, but something interesting happened because of this dance party uh, in my social media world that I wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, there were several places and in, from several individuals, queer people that uh, were dismissing this particular action, particularly by dismissing it by saying that it was um, unserious and it was pointless, and that these kind that there you know there are more sophisticated and appropriate ways to protest um, politically. Mm. That throwing that holding a dance party was unnecessary. It was stereotypical, and it was unserious. It's queering the form of protest. <laughs> well, and. And it made me like it sort of brought the question to me. So, okay, so what should queer resistance look like? Mm-hmm. What should it look like? Well, if you're asking like the Medicine Society, dudes in suits holding signs saying it's okay to be gay, and that's it. That is literally it. I mean, and, and I, I just think that's boring. And I and I well, I think I think that's assimilationist. That's that's saying that the the way to achieve equality is through assimilation only mm-hmm. that the only way that, that that saying that something like a queer dance party out in the street is inappropriate or or um, unserious is saying that a bunch of queers dancing is somehow inappropriate or unserious and that's like a part of our life that we shouldn't we shouldn't acknowledge or we shouldn't put in the in public that kind of like flamboyant queerness is not okay which i think is i just think it's bullshit i feel like those kinds of of gays are like roxy andrews um yelling at jinx monsoon that that she doesn't take drag seriously and then jinx monsoon come back with like well i take my comedy very seriously no you're just joking around like i feel like that's the argument all over again where it's like no there's more than one form and the the thing is too is that this fits into respectability politics, which is really upsetting, because um, like the the problem is is that it there is no good way to protest. Like no matter what, people are going to be upset. There's no peaceful way to protest. Um, we see that with how 
the media treated um, Colin Kaepernick. Um, and we see that with how <clears throat> how people just kind of talk about these things. There's no good way to protest. They just don't want us to protest at all. There's no peaceful, nonviolent way to protest that is acceptable as well. There's no such thing. Then there never will be because the whole point is they don't want us protesting. Yeah, and the point of protest is to be disruptive. The point of protest is to shake up what we see every day and what we experience every day so that people pay attention to something that they've otherwise ignored. And, you know, like... If it means you got to get in some booty shorts and dance in the streets to I want to dance with somebody, which was on the playlist. Obviously. Totally. Please tell me that um, it's like on Spotify somewhere. Oh my God, I hope so. Um, but like the, the, that's the whole point. Protests should be disruptive. Protests should make you uncomfortable. And protests should, should shake up what you see all the time. Um, so I, I worry about... I worry about those members of our community who have achieved a certain level of comfort in their lives and who have achieved a certain level of um, okay, assimilation. They've achieved a certain level of assimilation. They're accepted by the communities that they live in and there's nothing particularly queer about them, about their lives other than the fact that they sleep with someone of the same sex. Mm-hmm. And that here at this particular moment, when when now there's an administration that's been actively working to undo all the progress that we've achieved, that those people are saying, okay, now let's do this politely. Let's sit down. Let's have some tea with them. Let's get a little youth, youth berry from Tivana have a conversation with the people in our neighborhoods about why it's okay to be queer. Cue Tatiana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's a bitch. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. I, I worry that now um because in a lot of the organizations in our community, those are the those are the leaders. Those are the leaders of a lot of the organizations of prominence in our community. People who think that the best way to achieve progress or the only way to achieve progress is through a four hundred dollar a plate fundraiser with a celebrity or something and having a social event. Henry Winkler. Yeah. Um I, we've, we've talked about, about what, you know, we, we talked on other other episodes that bearded fruit only continued because Trump got elected president. And we felt like this was an important platform for us to, to continue to have these conversations and hopefully to engage others in them and maybe gather others around the idea of, of resistance. And Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say to the audience, you're welcome. <laughs> I did that. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, I, I felt like in res- when I was watching people respond to this gay dance party, which I thought was, was fun and joyful at a moment when we don't necessarily feel so joyful and celebratory of everything that makes us outsiders, to have people who, sh- who are in my community go, ugh. God, they're they're look look at how, look at what they're doing. Look at what they're making us look like. They're making us look like fools. They're making us. They're embarrassing us. They're they're unserious, and this isn't the way to do it. Um, it um, it just makes me want to uh, like create a queer army. Do you know what I mean? Like the queerest fucking army in the world. I want to like we need to the queer resistance is now and we need to be a fucking part of it and and make it happen. 
So I take it we're going to um, label this episode as explicit on iTunes because I'm pretty sure you've said fuck seven times. Eight. Oh, no. Um, yeah, and like I'll swing around to that. So in thinking about how I how our, what does queer resistance look like and what um, what are the many ways that queer resistance can can appear in in this in the world? There's a really great op-ed in the Huffington Post by Alex Garner called "Queer Sex is Our Greatest Act of Resistance." And if you haven't read it, you really should. I'll try to link to it on our Facebook page whenever we put the uh, the episode up. But he wrote about how sex needs to be central to queer protest and queer the queer resistance mm-hmm. in this particular moment. So here's a section of uh, Alex Garner's piece in the Huffington Post called Queer Sex is Our Greatest Act of Resistance. Quote, Now is the time to be unapologetically queer and that must include our sex. When we fuck, it has value and meaning and no policy or lawmaker can ever take that away from us. Let's share that with the world. We all lose if we advance a movement that has divorced itself from sex. Love may win, but no one ever passed a law preventing us from loving. Scores of laws have been passed trying to prevent us from fucking. In these political times, our queer sex must be front and center. It's how we show the world that we are not afraid and not ashamed. We must talk openly and honestly about our sex because it's not something that only belongs in the bedroom. If people accuse us of flaunting our sex, then we respond by making our signs bigger and our voices louder. Mm. And he goes on to talk about how... um, how sex is central to queerness and it's an idea that I totally agree with. Um, I think what we forget is that so much of what people oppose in us has to do with our bodies. People who are homophobic or people who are anti-queer oppose what we do with our bodies, what we do to other bodies, the bodies we choose to do things with and how we choose to paint our bodies, how we dress our bodies, how we take our bodies out into the world. I think you need to stop relying on your body. But no, but you know what I mean? Like everything, what, what people resist when they are anti-gay or anti-LGBT and anti-queer has everything to do with our bodies. It comes back to the ick factor. Yeah, it has everything to do with our bodies. So to pretend that our bodies don't somehow don't exist and to pretend like we're not... To pretend that I don't have sex with dudes or to pretend that... Wait, what? <laughs> I do, I do, from time to time. Ah! <laughs> Here and there, a smidgen. I have been known. A smattering of sex with gentlemen. A smattering? Um, a smattering of sex with not Hit gentlemen. him with that SAT word, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, like the fact that... Like, that uh, to, to remove that, to remove that there are men who... You know, guys who identify as men who dress up in drag and perform. The fact that people blur gender lines, that people live in an, if live their experience and live their gender in a non-binary way. All of those things need to be central to our queer resistance. And we have to celebrate those and put those out there because that's really what people are opposing. Well, what I think... Um, I think a, a greater focal point like a more a more macro way to view all of this um doesn't even involve sex so much as um simply celebration um because the the idea that um the, the the thing about the queer narrative is that the queer narrative is that we are victims that we um are victims of an actual disease as well as um we are victims of spiritual diseases um the idea that we are meant to suffer we see this in how 
um, lesbians and queer people in general are typically portrayed in the media. They're typically killed off in their TV shows that they're on or what have you. Um, so the queer narrative is inherently one of, of loss, of, um, of sadness, and of, of misery. Um, so having a dance party as a form of protest is 120% subversive. Um, there's nothing like take, taking, taking out your anger in the form of celebration and taking out your anger in the form of being authentically yourself, um, amongst a group of other people who are, who are actively doing the same thing, um, in a celebratory tone, there's nothing more subversive than that. There's nothing more subversive than saying, yes, you hate me because of my sex and because of how I have sex, but I'm going to celebrate myself anyway. That's subversive. That's that's something that's, um, I think, more important than even focusing just on sex alone. It's focusing on the whole picture and celebrating the whole picture. Like, yes, we choose our family for a lot of us. Yes, we um, have sex with other people that you wouldn't, um, that isn't socially necessarily, uh, acceptable. And yes, we, um, we have very specific issues that face us such as coming out and things like that. And we're going to celebrate these differences and we're going to celebrate the fact that we are different. Um, and we're going to do it on our terms. And I think that's the key. It's that this is a protest that's been done on queer terms. It's not on the terms that have been assigned by the status quo. It's not on the terms that have been assigned by history. It's literally us being like, no, nah, this is how we're doing this. We are dancing on somebody's lawn. This is how we're doing this. This is the aesthetic that we are using for our movement. And there's something really beautiful and subversive about that, that it focuses on celebration. It focuses on joy. It focuses on, on laughter. And I think it's important, too, that you said it's not just celebration in itself, but celebration of difference. It's celebrating what separates us from other people and owning that and saying that that difference doesn't have to be whittled away so that we can be acceptable, that we can celebrate what makes us different and unique. And that can be that's just as valid as as, you know, Midwestern nuclear family white hetero Christian. What'd you call me? <laughs> a smattering is what I called you. Ah! Um, I'm yeah, no, I, it, it should be celebratory. And that was um, funny. And what I really appreciated about the organizer of the Mike Pence, uh, um, dance? pro to dance party protest. What I appreciated and what he said was connecting the notion that the dance party was important because dance was how we formed community. And I think more than ever right now, the most important thing that we can do, the most important first step that we can have if we want to be part of some kind of queer resistance is to build community, to go out and really connect with other people who are in our community and form dedicated and committed groups of, of people who talk about these things, who engage with these issues, who engage with the problems and start to find solutions to fix them. That if you take the first step of gathering together, uh, build community, make connections, creating tribes, then those tribes can go out and act. And you don't have to rely just on your own me writing a letter to my congressman by myself. I can gather with my friends and we can put on a dinner party and write a whole bunch of letters that we then send to our um, our congressman, you know, mm-hmm. that beginning with community, like if it, if it just means having it going to, going to a club and connecting with other people through dance, you can do that 
in the streets of Maryland in front of Mike Pence's house. And you can create communities in other ways in your town, in my town, here in Manchester, in wherever you're listening from all over the world. You can make those small communities. And then those small communities can then act. And through that action, we might be able to, one, survive the next four years, but then ultimately change the world to fit um, everyone, to be a safe and welcoming place for everyone. Um, side note, mm-hmm. I really hope that Al Franken runs for the next presidential race for the drama alone of having another like actor, comedian, non-politician type. I just, the drama. Also, he'd be a good president, I think, because he's smart. He's smart enough and good enough. <laughs> that was his character in SNL. He's oh. smart enough and I'm smart enough. Oh my God, that was Al Franken. enough. Wow, Neil just had a moment. No, I never here. realized that was him. I, I've seen yeah. all of those skits and I mm-hmm. never realized it was him. Yep, that's him. Um, unrelated to, I just want to um, point out that in my five seconds of Googling, um, the pancake is in fact a, a dance, but it's from the early 2010s. Oh, see, it isn't even my generation. Okay, I thought it was from the 80s when it was introduced to me in person. In person. In person. I thought it was from the 80s, but that's just based off of my my five seconds of Googling. I'm probably wrong. I normally am. I don't. I have a I cannot believe degree. our episode is ending on the note of the pancake. The pancake. Everybody go do the pancake. But you know what? If you're going to go do the pancake for queer resistance and queer freedom, then you fucking do the pancake. It's something do like th- this. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I wish we did video episodes because this is too much. Um, So Neil is going to do the pancake as we finish this episode. Uh, As always, uh, we really thank you for listening to our podcast and supporting Bearded Fruit. Um, We are going to be part of the queer resistance and we're going to continue to come up with ways to uh, help you uh, act yourself. Um, The first thing that you can do is go over to our website, beardedfruit.com. And actually there, if you look and you click on the page that says fruit stands, Uh, You will find this week the very first thing that you can do to engage in your community and to take a stand and be a part of the queer resistance that we're talking about. Fruit stands. Fruit stands. Go. It's going to be the very first of several things that we'll have. So go there sometime during the week and uh, check it out and sign up for uh, to be a part of fruit stands. It's It's a scavenger hunt. It's going to be awesome. It's not a scavenger hunt. So do that. You can find us on Facebook at Bearded Fruit. You can find us on Twitter at Bearded Fruit Pod. Uh, and as always, you can go and subscribe to the podcast at uh, with iTunes uh, on your Android app. You can also find us now on Stitcher. If you listen to podcasts through Stitcher, we're there now. You can find us and listen to us there. And... Um, If you want to give us any feedback or talk to us about an episode you heard and have some questions, if you want to give us comments or feedback or share your story, you can do that by calling the Bearded Fruit Hotline, the Fruit Line, at 860-785-0633. You leave a message, you might hear your voice on an upcoming podcast. We'd love to have you share your thoughts and ideas. Unless they're terrible. No, they're not terrible. They're all terrible. Oh my God, people listen to ours. How bad can theirs be? Mine are terrible. (laughs) As always, we really, really appreciate you and are glad that you're out there listening. And uh, we will see you next week. Am I supposed to say something now? No.